So let me frame where we're headed today so you get an idea of what's going on. Uh, we've been in the whole idea of the Jewish traditions and the festivals that they celebrated, seven major festivals. Jesus was parallel with every one of these festivals. But this is, I think, one of the most intense festivals because it was literally a day, and it was called the Day of Atonement. And it is a day where God basically said to the Israelites, you need to come into full awareness of your sin and your shortcomings with God, with others, and you need to do it in such a way that there is fear and there is trembling, and you need to understand that I'm going to allow you to place your sins on something else to atone for all of the sins that you have. And so that was one really deeply intense festival, the Day of Atonement. So I would like for us just to bow and to pray because uh, we're going to get into uh, some pretty heavy material today. Heavenly Father, uh, today we come before you and we think about and we dwell and we pray about atonement. So Lord, just wrestle with our hearts and with our souls this morning because all of us, all of us need times in our life that we need to just step back and away from the noise and allow you to speak to us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Atonement, forgiveness, grace. And how would you even describe that? Uh, I think in modern days, probably to me, one of the most amazing acts of grace actually came out of the most horrendous events in modern history. Uh, you may remember in 1994, uh, there was a 100-day stretch in Rwanda uh, where the Tutsi tribe took over and, and rebelled against the Hutu group. So there are two major groups. When they took over, uh, they had one driving force, one driving force to eliminate everyone that wasn't part of their tribe. And so that's what they did. First, they took over government and all the government positions and assassinated their prime minister, uh, I mean, it just went all the way down the line. And then, uh, this is amazing, but bullets were too expensive, so they took machetes, and uh, they, they took clubs, and they just went out. And in a 100-day period, 800,000 people were slaughtered. Men, women, children. You may remember that. And the sad thing is, in all honesty, the world kind of sat back and watched this thing unfold. And it was just, to me, one of the, just one of the saddest moments in history. There was a photographer from the New York Times, and he had an idea. And the idea was that uh, his mission was to go back 20 years later and take pictures of individuals who had reconciled with the very people who had killed them or killed their family members, my Paul, their family members. Can you imagine that? And so one of the stories that just broke my heart uh, was a true story, and the, the victim, her name was Vivian uh, Nyaramna, and the man who killed uh, her father and three brothers, his name was Jean-Pierre Caranzi. Now, I want you to listen his words and then her words, his words. My conscience was not quiet, and when I would see her, he had done a little prison time, when I'd see her, I was very ashamed. 
After being trained about unity, that's called Jesus, and reconciliation, I went to her home. I asked her for forgiveness. And then I shook her hand. So far, we are on good terms. Now, here's what she said. He killed my father and three brothers. He did these killings with other people, but he came alone to me, and he asked for pardon. He and a group of other offenders who had been in prison helped me rebuild my house. They covered my home with a roof. I was once afraid of him, but I have granted him pardon. These things now are normal, and my mind is clear. Atonement, forgiveness, grace. I mean, think about what that means for us today. To sit back in a setting just like this, as intimate as it is, and to think about, am I right with God? Am I right with others? Now think about that. Am I right with God? All of you, think about that. Am I right with others? So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get into the Day of Atonement. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalms 49, 6-8. Those who trust in their wealth and boast in their great riches, no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for life is too costly. There is no payment that is ever enough. The day of atonement. If you've got your scriptures in Leviticus 23, we've been pulling a lot from Leviticus 23. So I'd like you to turn over to that, and we're going to start in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, on the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do not work on that day because it is the day of atonement. When atonement is made for you before the Lord your God, anyone who does not deny himself on that day must be cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people anyone who does not work on that day. You shall do no work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, it is the Sabbath of rest for you. And you must deny yourself from the evening to the ninth day of the month until the following evening. You are to observe your Sabbath. Did you catch the word that was used several times? Deny yourself. In other words, this is, this is not about you. This is not about playing church. This is you coming in contact with the Almighty God. And if you do not obey, what does he say? God said, I will strike them dead. I, I think I would pay attention. We all need days of atonement. We all need to step back and deny ourselves. Now, when I have that word in the Scripture, I read that word, deny uh, there are a couple things you denied. Number one was you don't work. We have a tendency, we love to work. And uh, there are probably some workaholics in here right now. And we, we just say we're not that way, but we're that way. And so he said, hey, first of all, don't work. Deny yourself of work. Truly unplug and let God really get through to you. Now, here's the second thing you deny. And boy, this applies to Americans. It doesn't apply to me, but most Americans... Deny yourself of food. They would fast. They start in the evening. 
24 hours, and they fasted. So I just want to take a moment and look at why that denying ourselves is so important. Leviticus 16, 29 and 30, this is from the message. It says this, this is the standard practice for you, a perpetual ordinance on that 10th day of the seventh month, both you, the citizens, and the foreigners living with you are to enter into solemn fast and refrain from all work. Fasting. There's a book that I love by Elmer Towns, and it's called Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. And what's interesting about fasting in Scripture, uh, just listen to all those in the Scripture. These are just a handful who have fasted. Ezra, Samuel, Elijah, Moses, Daniel, Esther, David, John the Baptist, Paul, and Jesus, okay? And you know all of those fasts have in common? Not one of them fasted to lose weight. Not one of them. You don't read Daniel go, I got to drop a few. No. There's a specific reason. Matter of fact, here's what I love when I read that book. I didn't realize it. Fasting isn't just for one thing or two things. As you approach really difficult seasons in your life, how many of you are in a difficult season of life right now? Would you raise your hand? The rest of you are not telling the truth. But anyway, we all go through difficult seasons and Here's what they did in Scripture. When they faced really difficult decisions that they had to make, they didn't go to the banker. Who did they go to first? They went to the Lord. And the first thing they did is they would fast. So let me just share with you that I believe fasting is still a, a very difficult, but I, I really want to say I almost think it's mandatory for believers to step back and say, I may need to do this in my life at times. So I want to just share with you why I think it's important. Mike Bicknell, who has wrote a lot about spiritual discipline, said this, when people pray and fast, there is an increase of the Holy Spirit activity. That is a fact. If you're taking notes, let me just give you from years and years of helping others with this idea of fasting, uh, some things that I've learned and learned from others, okay? Very practical. First of all, have a plan and a selected group of scriptures to pray for during the times of fasting. So here's what I mean. Let's say you're facing a very tough decision in your life, and so you're going to pull away and you're going to fast. Have some scriptures on hand with you so that when you get to meal times, you pray over those scriptures. If you just go into a fast, you know what, I'm just going to fast. Okay, I can't tell you how many times I heard people say, I don't get it. What's the big deal? And I always say, did you have a plan? I don't need a plan. You need a plan. And you always start with God's Word. So have scriptures that you can pray over during those mealtimes when you are really hungry. Another thing that helps is have pictures. Uh, one of the things over the years I've done when I've got a way to fast is I would take pictures of folks in the congregation, and I would pray over those pictures. And I can't tell you how much more intense my prayers would become because I would see those pictures differently. Uh, I remember one time as I was praying over pictures this was years ago, and there was a, a couple in Illinois, and they had their son at the time. He was around 19. And it was the first time I ever looked close in that picture, and you could see almost tears in her eyes. And I thought, I remember now what's going on. He enlisted in the Marines. That's the week he was leaving. And it, you could see it in her eyes. I never saw it before. And then I started crying like a baby. I'm like, oh, man, that's got to be hard. I think God wants to break us all the time that way to say there's so many hurting people. And then I know guys hate this because it sounds like a diary, but journal. Just take out a piece of paper and write, Dear God, 
And during those times, especially times that you're really hungry, just write, what are you feeling and what are you experiencing? Every year for our men at Sherwood Oaks, called the Discipleship Revolution, we have a three-day fast. We always do it the week before Easter, so it's coming up. And so we challenge the men that there's all different ways to fast. For, for most, I would say, try to fast from food. Now, imagine a room of men and saying, we're not going to eat for three days. They just almost beat you up for that. I mean, come on. That, that, so, or I give other options. So I'd say, what is it in your life you just need to walk away from, from three days? Now, some of them said their wives. I thought that was interesting. But anyway, uh, they were, so here was one young man. He was a college student, and I'll never forget this. He said, I know what I need to walk away from. And uh, I remember I said, well, what's that? He goes, I talk too much. I didn't want to say I agree, but he, he talked a lot. He said, I really, I talk, I get my, he said, John, I don't know if you know that. I get in trouble sometimes. Really? Oh, interesting. He said, so three days, I'm not going to speak one word. I'm like, really? Yeah, I'm serious. Two days in, got the guys together, see how they were doing. And he actually had a little whiteboard. I'm not exaggerating. And he would write a little message and turn around. And he, after that three days, he said, I never realized that I'm terrible at listening because I like to talk so much. And I thought, you know what? That's what all of us need is not to carry around a whiteboard, but we all need to set aside times in our life to pull away and let God really speak to us. So let me challenge you. Fasting may be a way to do that. As they were fasting, they would then go to the temple, the tabernacle, and as they approached the tabernacle, they would see the high priest, and there was a whole series of sacrifices. Now, you know, and as you read through scriptures, the first high priest was Aaron, and he was the representative for the people, the mediator between the people and God. He was the only one uh, in the tabernacle. There was a, a curtain, and there was the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. Only he could go into the Holy of Holies. He did that once a year, and that represented, I am bearing the sins and I'm taking the responsibility of an entire nation. Who would want that job? But it was such a holy position, and it's such a vital position. And so in this ceremony, there was something that they did to me that is interesting, but it's something I, I hope all of us think about. There were two goats. Now, there was a lot of... We, we don't have enough time today of all the different sacrifices, but let me just share this one. There are these two goats, and as they would come to the entrance of the tabernacle, there was a ceremony, and they would throw lots, and one goat would be sacrificed and killed, okay? Uh, that's, that was a bad day for that goat, okay? So he would come in, he was sacrificed, and the blood of that goat was on behalf, it was placed on an altar of the people. The second goat, which is interesting, they would actually, tradition says they, most of you see this little uh, slice of a ribbon, a lot of you on your chair, and they would have a scarlet ribbon, they would tie that around his neck, and he would lay his hands on the goat and he would have a prayer, because this goat symbolically would take all of the sins of the Israelites and then they would cast him out in the wilderness. Anybody know what they call that goat? The scapegoat. It's the scapegoat. And that's where you hear that phrase all the time. So-and-so is a scapegoat. Marie said not to share this, but I'll go ahead and share it. It's, it's kind of like, let's say you got a basketball team, and they don't do very well. Anyway, I don't want to do that. Anyway, I want to even say it. 
scapegoat. Here's, here's one of the sadder stories that came out of World War II. So I know a lot of you know this. This major battleship, USS Indianapolis, uh, in World War II at the very end, was carrying sections of parts for the atomic bomb. Okay, pretty important mission. Okay, very secretive mission. So they, they got everything delivered. On the way out, uh, and as they were sailing basically to get back to a port and then go back out for war, uh, a Japanese submarine sank USS Indianapolis. Um, because there were so many mistakes that had been made. Uh, it's, a, it's a, such a fascinating story. Uh, 800 men lost their lives. And they, they went into shark-infested waters. I mean, it was a, it's just a terrible story. When the war ended, they had to blame somebody. So the saddest thing is they brought in the captain, and... Uh, his name was Captain Charles B. McVeigh III. And even though there were so many mistakes that were made, they placed it all on him. To the point they even brought in, if you can imagine this, the captain of the submarine, the Japanese submarine, to testify against him, and he testified in favor of him. He said, oh, there's nothing he could do. We were so close to that ship, it didn't matter what he did. And you know what they did? They court-martialed him. He was the only captain court-martialed in World War II. Hundreds of ships sank, but he's the one that caught the brook. Do you know how his life ended? He committed suicide. Scapegoats. If we're not careful in life, we have our own scapegoats. We have things that we, we say, oh, it wasn't my fault. It was so-and-so's fault. Or that, what, that's not my bad. It's the job that I'm at. I mean, we can go down that list. So isn't it interesting that the Israelites had to wrestle with, as you are coming right into the presence of God, are you blaming someone for the mistakes you've made? I mean, they're watching this goat literally walk out into the wilderness, and you got to know they're feeling like, I'm not right with God. Or that there's probably somebody's name, like, I'm not right with that person. I've got to deal with this because I've been using this as an excuse, or I've been, this is an excuse. That's a scapegoat. So I want us uh, to think about that. We've got a song coming up, and I want us to think about what that means. As that high priest in that day, and the day of atonement, what that means for us, being right with God and being right with others, as we sing. I want to share with you, I think, the greatest news in that is when we talk about atonement, Atonement really means there's a ransom that has been paid for us. There's a price that has been paid for us, and that's Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read these profound words, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, let's read verse 13 together. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Now, think about that. Jesus Christ is our ransom. 
He's faced our temptations, our struggles. He knows our pains. He knows our secrets. He knows our insecurities. He knows it all. And yet we have an all-access pass to the throne of God through Jesus. That's why we're here today. Because we celebrate that he was the ransom for all of us. For all of us. There's no sin in our lives. There's no mistake in our lives. There's no secrets in our lives that he can't handle. He can handle all of them. And when we know that, it changes us. It changes the way that we approach God, and it changes the way that we approach others. We can approach God knowing that He has forgiven us, and we can actually have relationships with others knowing we can forgive them, and we can offer grace to them because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ, our atonement, He is our sacrificial lamb. He is our scapegoat. He is our Savior. That's why we're here today. It changes everything. Back in the 1600s, Isaac Watts, who wrote countless hymns, old hymns, said this, There is no blood of beast on altar shed that could wash the conscience clean, but the rich sacrifice that he paid atones for all our sin. It changes us. You know, this is one of my favorite times of the year uh, for two reasons. Um, spiritually, it's Easter. In my flesh, it's the start of baseball season, okay? So I, I wrestle with this. Cardinals play the Cubs tonight, just a rumor. But anyway, um, so I love this time of year. And this time of year, uh, inevitably this week, you're going to hear about a guy. Some of you didn't know anything about baseball. His name was Jackie Robinson. He broke the racial barrier. And for him to be the, the first African-American ball player in any major sport, uh, and the abuse that he took, and the death threats that he received, and the number one challenge was, don't lose your cool. Just try to keep it together. Now, can you imagine going to the ballpark every day, hearing people scream just the most ridiculous and terrible things about you and your family, and to keep it together. Early in his career, uh, uh, routine ground ball, and he made an error at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. That's his home. You'd think that'd be the place where they would be forgiving, and the fans started just screaming and shouting and obscenities, uh, things about his family again, and he stood there, and you could tell it was getting to him. The shortstop, his name was Pee Wee Reese, that's his picture, literally <laughs> walked over, and he put his arms around his dear friend, and he left his arm there around him until the fans were silent. He didn't have to say a thing. His action said, this is my brother. Years later, after Jackie Robinson retired, he said, that arm around my shoulder saved me that day. We need to be that kind of person. We need to look for the broken people that don't think that God can forgive them because God can forgive. And then we forgive because he atoned for our sins. 